0: Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. One of the central themes of the Christian message is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You know, I've found that when most people become Christians, they don't necessarily become Christians because they've had all of their answers, uh, all of their questions answered, or all of the objections that they have satisfied. But rather, they're hit by the weight of how much Jesus loves them. And it's one thing for someone to say, I love you. It's another thing for them to prove it. And on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus just didn't say that he loved you. But he proved it. He proved it. And this Good Friday, what I want us to do is I want to look at five ways that Jesus expressed his love on Good Friday. Five ways that Jesus demonstrated, not just said, but demonstrated forever that he loves you. So let's look at those five ways. Firstly, the first way that Jesus demonstrated on Good Friday that he loved you was that he allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. You see, the whole reason he got into this position to be crucified was because. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends into the hands of his enemies, the religious leaders. The Bible records this in John 18 and verse 2. It says Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. He knew the place where Jesus would be, For, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Judas had been a close friend of Jesus. For three years, he had followed Jesus. But it seems he was only following Jesus for his own benefit. And so when he was offered money to betray Jesus, he took the money and he led them right to Jesus. But Jesus' love is heightened by the fact that he knew what was going on. Judas' betrayal was not a surprise to Jesus. You see, when Judas came with a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, it says in verse 4, look at this, it says that Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. You see, Jesus was not surprised by Judas's betrayal. He knew it would happen. In fact, earlier that night, as they celebrated Passover, Jesus had said to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And when asked which one, he said, the one to whom I give this morsel of bread that has been dipped in wine. And then he dipped a morsel of bread and he handed it to Judas. You know, if you knew that you were going to be betrayed into the hands of your enemies, would you allow it to happen? Would you come forward and say, whom do you seek? And when they said your name, would you say, I am he? You see, this demonstrates the love of Jesus. In that he knew what was going to happen. And he still allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. Well, the second way, the second way Good Friday demonstrates the love of Jesus is not only is it demonstrated in the fact that he allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies, but he also allowed himself to be condemned as a criminal. You see, after having been betrayed by Judas into the hands of his enemies, he then was taken before an assembly of Jewish leaders and they asked him, if you are the Messiah, then tell us. And he responded, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And then they said, are you the son of God then? And he responded and said, you say that I am. And then enraged with his response, they brought him before Pilate, the Roman governor, and accused him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he is a king. But after Pilate investigated their accusations, he said, I find no guilt in this man. And wanting to wash his hands of the whole matter, Pilate sent him to Herod when he learned that he was a Galilean and therefore was under Herod's jurisdiction. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was glad for he had heard a lot about Jesus and he was hoping that Jesus, the miracle worker, would perform a miracle for him. But after he questioned him at length and Jesus said nothing, he then sent him back to Pilate. And once again, Pilate called the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said, you bought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. But the crowd cried even more, away with this man and release us Barabbas. You see, Pilate's custom was at Passover to release a prisoner for the Jews And Pilate had put forward Barabbas, a known criminal, and Jesus in the hope that they would choose choose Jesus to go free. But they chose Barabbas. And when he said, what do you want me to do with this man? The crowd yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they shouted even more, Crucify him! Crucify him! So their voices prevailed. Barabbas was released, and Jesus was delivered over to be crucified. So the second way that Jesus' love was demonstrated on Good Friday is that he allowed himself to be condemned As a criminal. Pilate found no fault in him, neither did Herod. And despite his innocence, Jesus remained silent. And I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused of anything, but whenever I've been falsely accused of something, my something rises in my gut, and I just want to tell people that I'm innocent. You know, when I was three and my brother was five, we were playing in the backyard, and my brother he picked up this stick. And he threw it through the air and it hit one of the windows in our house and it broke the window. Now I remember this as clear as it was yesterday, even though I was only three years old. And I remember my brother being brought in, my brother and I being brought in before our parents, and our parents saying, Now who was it who threw the stick into the window? And I remember my brother pointing over to me. (laughs) And I remember me getting the punishment. Because I couldn't defend myself. I was only three years old. You know, it's amazing how you remember injustice. And it's amazing, you know, for me, I, 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 everything within me was screaming out, you know, this is injustice. This uh, great injustice has been done against me. Well, Jesus suffered the ultimate injustice. He was innocent. And yet he was charged and accused of crimes that he did not commit. But rather than yell out and cry out against this injustice he allowed himself to be condemned as a criminal. So we see that on Good Friday the love of Jesus is demonstrated in that he he allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies even though he knew what was going on. And we see the love of Jesus displayed in that he allowed himself to be condemned as a criminal even though he was innocent. But thirdly The Good Friday shows us the love of Jesus in that he endured a shameful and painful death. You know, every religion has a symbol that demonstrates something of the belief of that religion. For Buddhism, it's the lotus flower. And this apparently symbolizes maybe the cycle of death and rebirth or the cycle of beauty out of chaos. And sometimes Buddha is pictured as coming out of a lotus flower. You know, modern um, Judaism, they have the star of David, which is symbolic of God's covenant with David. And uh, Islam, it has a crescent moon and a star, which is symbolic of where the religion began. But it's fascinating, isn't it, that Christianity has as its symbol a cross. This is fascinating considering the origin of crucifixion. You know, it was invented by the barbarians on the edge of the known world and taken over by the Greeks and the Romans. And it was probably the cruelest method of execution ever practiced. For it deliberately delayed death until maximum torture had been inflicted. The victim could suffer for days before dying. However, when the Romans adopted it, they only reserved it For convicted murderers, rebellion, and armed robbery, provided that these people were slaves or foreigners, or what the Romans considered non citizens. They would not crucify a Roman citizen because it was such a, a symbol of shame. You know, the Jews were outraged when the Roman general Varsus crucified 2,000 of their countrymen in 4 BC. And when during the siege of Jerusalem, the general Titus crucified so many fugitives from the city that they had neither space for crosses nor crosses for the bodies could be found. And Roman citizens were exempt, as I said, from crucifixion, except in extreme cases of treason. Cicero, a Roman statesman and philosopher, in one of his famous speeches, condemned it as a most cruel and disgusting punishment. He declared, to bind a Roman citizen is a crime, to flog him is an abomination, to kill him is almost an act of murder, to crucify him is what Cicero writes. He writes, there is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. Cicero was even more explicit in his successful defense in 63 BC of the elderly senator Gaius Aribius, who had been charged with murder. He said, The very word cross should be far removed, not only from the person of the Roman citizen, but from his thoughts, his ears, and his eyes. For it not only the actual occurrence of these things, the procedures of crucifixion, or the endurance of them, but the liability to them, the expectation. Indeed, he writes... The mere mention of them is unworthy of a Roman citizen and a free man. So the Romans saw crucifixion as a symbol of shame. If you were crucified on a cross, that was a symbol of shame. But if the Romans saw it as a symbol of shame, the Jews saw it as something worse. You see, they made no distinction between a tree and a cross, therefore a hanging and a crucifixion, and therefore they automatically applied to crucified criminals the terrible statement of the law that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. So the Romans viewed crucifixion as a shameful symbol, and the Jews saw it as you being cursed by God. You know, I wonder if you've, ever been ex- if you've ever experienced public shame before. You know, we as Australians, we don't live in an honor or shame culture, but for many cultures around the world, maintaining your honor is important. For example, in Japan, it's not uncommon for Japanese businessmen who lose their jobs to continue to get dressed every morning in a suit and go into town and go into a bar and stay there and pretend to be at work because of the shame that they feel if they were to tell their family that they had lost their job. See, I don't think we really understand what it was like for Jesus to suffer this shameful death. Just imagine, just imagine how much we vilify people like pedophiles, or we vilify people who murder children, and we, we vilify them and see them as the lowest of the low, now you're starting to feel the shame of the cross. The shame of the cross. But not only, not only was it a shameful death, it was a painful death. After Pilate handed over Jesus to be crucified, the Romans took Jesus and they took him into the Procterian, uh, their, their headquarters, and they stripped him down naked. They then fastened for him a crown of thorns. They placed it on his head. They dressed him in royal colours and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him. They then undressed him again and then they flogged him within an inch of his life using the cat of nine tails. It was this whip made out of leather with bone and with metal in it to inflict maximum punishment as it ripped into the flesh of someone's back. Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life. And then they said, you must carry your cross to the place of crucifixion. And so he picked up the cross and he carried it. But because of his physical exhaustion and because of the beatings that he had received, he stumbled as he walked. And when he could go no further, They forced Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. And finally, he came to the place of his execution, Golgotha. And there they crucified him. They put nails into his hands and to his feet, and they hoisted him up between two thieves. And crucifixion was an excruciatingly painful way to die because you had to pull yourself up to get a breath. And you died from asphyxiation when you could pull yourself up no longer. You then died from lack of breath, from lack of oxygen. Your lungs would drain with liquid. Excruciatingly painful way to die. And so on Good Friday, Jesus shows us his love and that he allowed himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He allowed himself to be condemned as a criminal and he suffered a shameful and very painful death And what heightens this is that Jesus, I believe, had the power at any moment to come down from the cross. Jesus had told blind men that they could see. He had made the lame walk. He could have called a legion of angels to His defence. As an old song goes, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set Him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but He died alone for you and me. See, Good Friday demonstrates the love of Jesus. He was betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He allowed himself to be condemned as a criminal, even though he was innocent. He endured a shameful and painful death, even though he had the power to step down off the cross. And he was, fourthly, forsaken by his disciples and rejected by the world. Those people who had known him best, all scattered. Peter, his best friend, denied even knowing him three times and ran off into the night. And then the Jewish leaders, as recorded in Matthew 27, verse 42, the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Jerusalem, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. And Jesus just cried out these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He was hanging there for them. But finally, finally, Good Friday demonstrates the love of Jesus in that not only did he allow himself to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies when he knew what was going to happen, And not only did he allow himself to be condemned as a criminal, even though he was innocent, and not only did he endure a shameful and painful death, even though he had the power to overcome, and not only was he forsaken by his disciples and rejected by the world, but Jesus demonstrated his love on Good Friday and that he felt and bore the full weight of God's anger against your sin. At 9 a.m., Jesus was crucified and hoisted up between two thieves. And then at 12 o'clock, the sky went dark. Matthew records it this way in Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, that's midday, there was darkness over the entire land until the ninth hour. That's three o'clock. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, far more than the physical suffering of Jesus. In that moment, Jesus, in that moment of darkness, he was bearing up the guilt for your sin and my sin. See, the Bible says that we have all sinned and we've turned away from God. And therefore, we deserve to be punished for our sins. But Jesus loved us that much that he chose to go to the cross and pay the punishment for our sin that we deserved. He took on the darkness that we deserve so that we can experience the light of God. You see, when most people become Christians, They don't necessarily become Christians because all of their questions are answered. But they come become Christians because they are gripped, gripped, absolutely gripped by the love of Jesus. Jesus loves you. He loves you. And he doesn't just say he loves you. He's proven that he loves you. He was betrayed by his enemies, even though he knew what was going on. He allowed himself to be condemned, even though he was innocent. He suffered a shameful and painful death, even though he didn't need to. He was forsaken by his disciples and rejected by the world. And he bore the full weight of God's judgment against your sin. But Good Friday is only part of the Easter story. They took Jesus' body down off the cross. They placed it in a tomb. And then three days later, the disciples came back on Sunday morning. And do you know what they found? The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. You see, the central conviction of Christianity is Jesus is not dead, he's not still on a cross, he is alive. And he offers to all people who will respond to his love. He offers new life. He offers forgiveness. He offers hope. He offers, he offers his very self to give himself to you. So that you can know him and your future and your present can be changed forever through him. But you need to respond to his love. And you respond by saying, Jesus, I thank you so much for dying for me. I admit I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness and I need your grace and I give you my life and I, 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 I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. So this Easter, the best thing that you could do is turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I respond to your love. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. On the way out from our earlier service, I met someone who said 50 years ago, on Easter, Good Friday, 50 years ago, he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he said, even though life hasn't been rosy and perfect, it's been the best knowing Jesus, and that can be the same for you this morning. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to receive Jesus this morning, you pray along this prayer in your heart with me. Let me pray.